everybody, this is Samir Kumar joined with Matt Drexler for another episode of the Scary Hours Podcast. There's a lot to talk about this week. The Nets are facing off against their longtime division rivals, the Boston Celtics, in the first round of the playoffs. So there's a lot to talk about on that series alone. So Drex, what are you looking forward to most about this series, my man? Oh, this is like just so perfect, right? This feels like a, a full circle moment for the Nets. Like eight years after the trade, Kyrie is now a net after he left Boston. Um, Boston fans, they're chanting, we want the Nets on Tuesday night. Brad Stevens had some interesting comments. This is like as juicy a storyline as we can get with two teams in a series that's probably going to last four games. <laughs> four games or it could be a gentleman's sweep but we'll see but i'm very much with you on the four games there but it's funny that you mentioned that Kyrie irving left boston to join the brooklyn nets you know just eight years ago when the nets made that dumb trade to boston but in retrospect obviously it turned out to be a dumb trade you know the nets are sitting pretty in a better situation than the Boston Celtics in today's world. And they quite honestly have a much better future planned out for themselves. Um, when you look at the rest of this decade. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like how many, how much talent has been drained out of Boston within the past like year or two, like Kyrie obviously being the main one, Gordon Hayward left. People just act like that was meant nothing. Like Gordon Hayward's a good player. He is a leading scorer on Charlotte before he got hurt this year. Um, you know, Al Horford left. He was a crucial part of those Celtics runs towards the Eastern Conference Finals uh, three of the last four years. Um, so Boston's gotten worse over the past two years. They haven't gotten better. So it's been so crazy to watch how all this has unfolded now, eight years after the trade, in which, don't get me wrong, Boston won the trade. They got by far the better end of that deal. But somehow, eight years later, the Nets are just in a better, way better position than Boston now and going forward. And it's funny that you mentioned that the Nets lost the trade. They did lose the trade. You know, there's just no other way to put it. When you can unload two Hall of Famers, you know, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, you know, into a situ into a new situation, you know, and get assets back that got you Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you won that. But on the surface of things, that looks like a victory, but it's inside an organization where I think the Boston Celtics have failed in comparison to the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets have built a culture where players 1 through 15 matter. It's a culture where when you're a part of the Brooklyn Nets family, you are a part of the Brooklyn Nets family. You are treated like gold no matter who you are. As Luis Scola referred when he first signed to with the Brooklyn Nets in 2016, once they become good, everyone's going to want to come here. And that has proven to be true. So you just see the culture that they build with Sean Marks coming in and then Kenny Atkinson, you know, building the culture from the ground up, focusing on player development with D'Angelo Russell, Jared Allen, and Karis LeVert, seeing guys that um, weren't uh, thriving in situations or guys that you know, were overlooked in the draft, just seeing how they made a name for themselves in Brooklyn. That has resonated with the rest of the league, taking a chance on guys and allowing them to play in a situation where every possession matters and they just build continuity. That has resonated yeah. with the Nets. And, you know, on the flip side of Boston, you know, they haven't been quite able to build that same type of culture. They've built a culture where 
you're expendable, you know, as proven with Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, that's that's the the main part, right? Is is the culture and and guys leaving like Kemba is somebody I think that they signed. Well, one that was kind of like a rash decision with knowing Kyrie was going to leave that they needed to bring in a point guard that is going to at least soften the blow of Kyrie just Kyrie's departure. Um, but Kemba is also somebody that they looked at basically as just someone that's going to be bring positive energy. And from that aspect, I think that was a good move from Boston. They're learning from their past mistakes about it's not just on paper. You need to surround your team with, um, coaching staff you want your players to be happy you can't just make these demands on your players and expect them all to to respond to them um you have to yeah they're they're people and so that's kind of something that boston i think has started to get a grip of more so at least these past two years because it's really slipped them by um three four years ago um as you're seeing guys wanting out gordon hayward didn't want to go back to boston terry rozier left um so it's been a tough couple of years for Boston, but if they somehow win a game or even two and Tatum has a, a big series, they're going to they're going to be, you know, excited to at least get a win in TD Garden and have their their one moment this playoffs because they're not winning the series. <laughs> There's no chance that they're winning this series whatsoever. It's just you know, the situation that they've built for themselves is just they've underachieved with what they had given to them. They made the right decision to trade out of that first pick in 2017 and draft Jason Tatum. That was a win for them. Drafting Jalen Brown in 2016, that was another win for them. They've made good decisions in the draft. But, you know, what it comes down to is that uh, even trading for Kyrie, that was a home run of a trade. But once players come in and see the organization for what it is, um, the Boston Celtics being a storied franchise is just not going to cut it in the modern era. Players care about uh, feeling like they're welcome. They care about building continuity within the confines of the organization. They want to know that you're invested in them just as much as uh, they're as uh, they're invested in you as an organization. So Boston needs to, um, you know, learn from their mistakes, like you mentioned, and know that they got to adapt with the times with a little bit and be more of an organization that, uh, you know, is more about player empowerment rather than live off their past glory. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, before we get into the whole Kyrie Irving storyline and, and all of that, I do want to talk about uh, Brad Stevens' comments after last night's game, after they beat the Wizards, uh, paraphrasing. He said something like, um, as an NBA fan, I don't expect them to lose, so we're going to do our best to prepare for Brooklyn and I'm sitting back, I read that, I'm like, is this guy just already conceding the loss? He said this out loud. Your players, first off, are going to see that. And it's almost, it It literally came off as, there's no way we're going to win this series. Like, is that is is that something that Brad Stevens, is that a mistake on his part? He Should he have not said that? Yeah, you do not ever say that to the media. As a coach, you have to inspire faith in your teammates. You have to motivate them. You have to make them know that they are capable of winning a series no matter what 
what is said on paper, no matter how things um are looking on the outside looking in you know you have to have that faith in your team that they're going to to win no matter what um in internally you know he can obviously feel the way he feels about brooklyn he can even say that they're a powerful team like he can you know not deny the fact that the nets are a powerhouse team but you can't say that um basically that i don't see how they're going to lose that just sends a bad message to your team and I, you know, I don't like it. You have to be delusional when you're a coach. You have to have faith in your team, you know, before the games are played. That's just how it goes. Yeah, I think this is something like where <clears throat> I've heard, I don't know if it's true, I don't think it's true, but where people are saying Brad Stevens' job on the line this year. And so the one thing that makes me think is he's saying this to sort of, soften the blow of the loss and like protect himself right so he can he's acting as if boston has no chance he's kind of setting it up so that way when the series loss happens it's not it doesn't come off as like the shock not that it would but i think it's brad stevens almost just protecting himself from from a coaching standpoint but i'm all for like respecting your opponent you can say like they're a great team like it's going to be a challenge but at the end of the day, you need to stay up at the podium and say, I'll take our guys in the end, though. Like, we're going to go out there and and we're going to try and win every night and, and we expect to come out with the win. So there's certain ways about praising your opponent and also instilling confidence in your team. And Brad Stevens just totally missed the mark. Exactly. It's just, you know, has a quit mentality attached to it. I just, you know, you pretty much hit it on straight you know, on the nail on the head that he just completely whiffed on an opportunity to make some noise. Instead, he just took the easy route and said, yeah, like this team is just so, so good. Like, I don't see how they're going to lose. Um, That doesn't send a good message to um your locker room, especially for the Jason Tatums and Marcus Smarts of the world, two competitive guys. I want to go out there and grind it out. Just doesn't send a good message whatsoever. Uh, And that's why the Celtics are going to get swept. Wow, given your uh, serious prediction already, like no, no, not being shy about it. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, and say I disagree. I think it's going to be a sweep also, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if Tatum has one of those games where he scores 45 and Boston wins uh, at TD Garden or something like that. So four games is my prediction. I, I think it could go five, though. Maybe Boston could sneak a game. But we got to talk about Kyrie, the return. Um, those games are going to be, I think, the most fun at the to those two at TD Garden because um, they're only going to get two. So, what is that environment you think going to be like? Do you think it's going to be just Kyrie getting booed every time he touches the ball? Yes, absolutely. Every time Kyrie Irving even breathes in TD Garden, he's going to get booed. They're going to be heckling him, saying, you know, all these derogatory things about Kyrie. They're going to come at him. And, you know, quite honestly, I don't think that's going to phase Kyrie. He pretty much put that to sleep when he um, saged the TD Garden, you know, in that preseason game in December. You know, I think he's completely unbothered by it at this point of his career, but it's not going to stop the Celtics fans from going at him. And that's what's going to make it a competitive and juicy series on otherwise um, sweep. What, what I'm expecting Kyrie to kind of like have one of those series where you're going to see him being more aggressive than ever. 
he can say all he wants, like he's past it. And he is, I, I think he's totally moved on, but there's, there will always be that extra oomph in playing a former team, um, especially for fans that just don't like you anymore of wanting to put on a show. And you're going to see Kyrie have, have one of those games in Boston where he is just unstoppable and it's going to be so fun to, to kind of see that whole type of environment uh, unfold and Boston fans are going to chant like you're duck, stop ducking us or, and things like that. And uh, now there's no, no ducking's going to happen here. He will be there. You, this is the moment I feel like Boston fans have been waiting for for two years and it's finally happening next week. The thing is, Kyrie did not even duck Boston. The Nets swept Boston 3-0 this year with Kyrie Irving playing in all three of those games. And in the third game where the Nets beat the Celtics, Kyrie Irving didn't even shoot the ball well whatsoever, but he found other ways to get involved. He rebounded. He assisted. You know, he did his other... Uh, he did his playmaking and got others involved, but he also stepped it up defensively in that game and came up with timely stops to prevent the Celtics from making a comeback. Um, he's really stepped up his game, especially against Boston this year, and he's not ducking anybody. He ain't scared of um, playing the Celtics. He's not scared about what the media in Boston has to say. They're going to try to make it a circus. They're going to try to make it uh, you know, all about Kyrie. He's scared about Boston. He didn't have... Um, the guts to play with the Celtics. They're going to try to make those narratives up. Or if Kyrie Irving has one bad shooting game, they're going to say, oh, you know, this is what uh, we don't miss about Kyrie here in Boston. But let's be real. You're a 500 team. You'll love to have Kyrie Irving suit up for your team any day of the week. So don't, you know, get out of here with that garbage, uh, you know. But to be quite honest with you as well, I don't quite see the Celtics fans getting on Kyrie Irving nearly and I mean nearly as much as Raptor fans got on Vince Carter when Vince Carter returned to Toronto. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison because obviously Vince and Kyrie like totally separate um, careers, right, with, with both franchises. It's, so it's not really the same thing to kind of compare, I think, at this point, being that um, you know, all those years that Vince was with the Raptors while Kyrie was um, only just two years with the Celtics. But I think I don't think any Celtics fan even has one ounce of love at all for Kyrie. Like there is just no appreciation whatsoever. While Raptors fans like you obviously have to have appreciation for Vince Carter. So I think that's where it changes. And, and I just think this is going to be classic Boston Nets, just the rivalry, all the ugly colors are going to come out in the series. Boston fans are not going to be happy just because it's just the talent gap is just way too much in this series uh, for Boston to overcome. And it's going to be really a, culmin a culmination of everything over the past two or three years that has happened in Boston and, and Brooklyn and it's going to be almost a panic time, I think, in Boston after the end of it. If they get swept, Brad Stevens' job is going to be on the line. And that's why he made those comments before the series. So I am so excited to see what happens up in Boston after the series is over.
Oh my god, I just can't wait to see Kyrie Irving completely shut down all those narratives that were thrown his way from Boston media and Boston fans. It's going to be exciting to watch and, you know, I'm going to empathize with Boston fans, you know, especially kids out there, you know, in the greater New England area that uh, probably bought Kyrie jerseys and really loved Kyrie Irving, you know, when he played for them. You know, that's how any sports fan goes. I've been through it when Jason Kidd was traded from the Nets to the Mavericks. Vince Carter was traded to Orlando, you know, from New Jersey. Um, I went through it. You know, it sucks losing a loved um, member of your team, especially somebody so talented as those guys, you know, so there is empathy there, but um, where it gets twisted, where, you know, you can't blame Kyrie Irving whatsoever is that he made a decision for himself. He wanted to come home. He wanted to play for his childhood team. He wanted to be closer to family. So you got to empathize with Kyrie Irving as well and realize that he's a human being too. and want to make the best decision for him. You can, you know, hate the fact that he left your favorite team. You know, there can be trash talk, you know, within the confines of playing the sport. That's all, you know, well and good. But when it becomes personal, and when it becomes to a point where you think Kyrie Irving is ducking you and, you know, assassinating his character in other ways, that's where it becomes out of line. And, uh, you know, I just can't wait for Kyrie Irving to shut down all those false narratives about him. Yeah, it's going to be really – those Boston games are really the ones I'm excited for. Just because the ones in Brooklyn, right, there's – you know, it's not going to have that Kyrie storyline aspect. Obviously – Nets fans are going to be going crazy. Boston, um, one of the biggest rivals. Uh, so that that aspect of it. But it's just going to be so much worse up in Boston just because of the whole Kyrie added aspect to it. Um, so that's going to be be really fun to watch. And, and I'm excited to, to see what happens there in those two games. Absolutely. It's just I can't wait to see Kyrie Irving just crossing people up, you know, doing what he's been doing all season long with, you know, efficient shooting numbers. Um, <laughs> he, he just, anytime you need a bucket, he's just so reliable. I can't wait to see him just making the paint his canvas out there in Boston. And, you know, I can, I would not be surprised if I saw a 50 point game out of uncle drew in Boston. And just like at the end of the game, putting his finger over his lips, shushing the crowd. I would not be surprised. I see all that. I'm, one question I want to ask is, is if if say the Nets are up 2-0, it's game three in Boston, and it's a uh, 120 to 120 with three seconds left. Nets Nets ball. Durant has 33. Kyrie has 33. Like both are on that night. They're both shooting well. Is it going to be Kyrie's shot to have? Do you think that the Nets are going to say we're going to give this to you, Kyrie, just because you're playing Boston? You know what? I could. I can honestly see that. I could see KGB like, you know what, Kai, you know, I know how it feels to get revenge on your former team. You know, I know what it's like to be in that moment or whatever, you know, because KD obviously um, wanted those sa that same type of environment whenever he faced against um, the OKC Thunder. So I think KD will just have the presence of mind knowing that, Kai, this is your shot, man. You know, go out there and just sink this dagger into the hearts of Boston fans because storylines will be endless from that dagger. You know, Boston media fans, uh, Boston media rather, their personalities and Boston fans will be crying for days on Twitter or on their talk shows saying, uh, you know, 
oh, Kyrie Irving beat us. You know, they're just going to try to find a way to turn that positive of Kyrie Irving's life into a negative, you know. So um, it's just going to give the Nets more publicity. It's going to give them more fuel for their fire to win the championship. I can honestly see that moment being like, um, you know, something that uh, uh, lives on for years in the heart of the Nets and Celtics rivalry. So I think KD in that particular moment will be like, Kai, go get that shot, my man. Yeah, I think it's different. It's I don't think that would happen if like Durant has forty on like fifteen of twenty shooting and Kyrie is five of eighteen with thirteen points. Like I think Durant would shoot it on that night. Yeah. But if they both have it going, then I think they would just give it to to Kyrie at that point just to to kind of put put it to bed. So I think it's gonna be so fun to watch and Boston fans chanting we want Brooklyn at the end of it just kind of gave it at, of the, at the end of that wizards game last night, just kind of gave a little hint as to the type of environment that this series is going to be and how excited both fans are. I think this may be the most exciting series in the East outside of um, Milwaukee and Miami. First round. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the Knicks and Hawks, that could be an exciting series just because those two teams are pretty like evenly matched. You know, I think that series can go seven, but in terms of storylines, yeah, Nets Celtics, you know, all the storylines about Kyrie, their history of being division rivals with the whole uh, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade, you know, the storylines will be endless. That's what's going to make this series exciting. It's not necessarily going to be the on play. Uh, you know, on-court action of both teams. I mean, Kyrie, KD, James Harden, Jason Tatum are all going to do their things regardless. You know, Boston fans are going to be like, Jason Tatum's the next big superstar. Nets fans are going to be like, we got the best big three uh, in the history of the NBA, and they're going to all win a championship together, if not multiple. You know, they're going to all have these their own prize, their own storylines, and it's all going to culminate into what should be an exciting series. And at the end of the day, Kyrie Irving is just going to continue to share love towards his former teammates Jason Tatum uh, Marcus Smart um, Jalen Brown who you know unfortunately won't be playing in the series but Kyrie's gonna sh show him love anyway because you know Kyrie Irving uh, is a type of guy that doesn't have any ill will towards um, any of his former teammates in Boston he wants nothing but the best for them and it just became a situation where um, he just didn't see anything long term in Boston that would benefit his playing career and I you know and Combine that the fact that he has a chance to play with two other elite players, um, arguably top five in the NBA, Kevin Durant and James Harden. Kevin Durant is top five, and I'm inclined to put James Harden in that conversation as well as in terms of top five. Um, you know, but the chance to play with those two guys home for your favorite team, and you still get to be around your family. You know, everything just added up for a perfect situation for Kai, and um, you know, he made the best decision for himself. Yeah, so that's gonna be a really good series. Like I was, I was happy the Nets got Boston, not only for all the storylines and to just end the whole trade thing and Kyrie thing, but more so just I thought Boston is an easier opponent than Washington would have been. So uh, that was kind of another added aspect to it. But um, we do want to talk about Kyrie's season by itself like this past year the fact that he had a 50 40 90 season 
and it was just the ninth in NBA history. I think he's just the fifth player in NBA history to go 50, 40, 90 while scoring over 25 a game also. So listen, I understand a shortened season. Kyrie missed about a quarter of the season um, percentage-wise in the games he's played just because he for injuries. He also took personal time, all that. So it was over the course of a, a shorter span of time, but it feels like Kyrie's season is almost just, oh, 50, 40, 90, that's cool, and that's the end of it where it just not is just not being talked about enough i feel like no not at all they ra- the media would rather focus on you know other things about Kyrie you know speaking up um against the violence that's going on across the world you know using his platform to shed light on those issues and him you know you know at certain times you know his uh some things he said about talking to the media, you know, him being fined for not talking to the media on multiple occasions. They would rather focus on that instead of what they see out of him on the court because those type of things generate the the headlines. Now, Kyrie Irving's a human being. You know, we all make mistakes or handle things differently, you know, in ways that we shouldn't handle them. But it's nothing that would have ever really... Um, should have ever really warranted the amount of criticism that it ended up getting. So I think um, those storylines were blown out of proportion. But in terms of on the court, you know, um, he still did it in 54 games. That's still not an easy thing to do. Yeah, would have been more impressive if he could have done it over the course of an 82-game season. But uh, the way I saw him play out there on the court, I don't really see how playing 28 more games or – maybe 20 plus more games, you know, somewhere, something in that ballpark would have really impacted his performance that much differently. I still think he could have gotten over 25 points per game. He still would have had plenty of games where he shot over 50% from the floor and 40% from three. Obviously his free throw shooting, you know, 92%, you know, that would have probably stayed um, true throughout the course of more games played. So I don't necessarily see how it's, his performance would have dropped or dipped so dramatically to the point where people are going to uh, not shed light on the fact that he averaged 25 plus points per game on 50, 40, 90. It should definitely be talked about more. And, um, you know, when you just look at his overall skill set, his ability to break defenders off the dribble, take the ball to the rim, finish above bigger defenders and, just the multitude of ways he can score. You know, when you look at film, when you watch the games, every time Kyrie Irving gets a step on his defender or he pulls up and shoots, I feel like it's going to go in because he just knows where to, you know, how to pick his spots in the most efficient way possible and make it happen. You know, you can put anybody on him. He's still going to find a way to beat you. That just goes to show how multifaceted of a scorer he is. And the the way he's been able to do that while um, staying true to himself, you know, following Ramadan, um, you know, and um, also, you know, shedding light on issues that he feels that are very important to him, balancing all of that, you know, just shows resilience and it shows um, good, just great character. You know, you have to factor in that uh, he's not just a talking robot out there. He empathizes with people. He cares yeah. about the world. And, um, you know, combine that with his encore performance, this has been nothing short of spectacular out of Kyrie this year. I think, I think the counter argument that everybody's making 
well, two things. One on the 50-40-90 is the games. And I, I can see that like 54 games when others have done it over the course of an 82-game season where they, they're playing 70 games. Sure, you'd like more games, more of a sample size. But in the end, it's not all on Kyrie. It's, it is partially, um, but it's, he, he lost the opportunity on 10 games just because of the shortened season. So he probably would have played at least 60 um, if it was an 82-game season. But the other thing I think that really everybody is kind of turned people off about Kyrie is his comments, I think, at the end of the second-to-last game or the, or the last game of the season. I don't remember which, but he said, um, at this point, basketball just really isn't that important to me. Um, everything going on in the world in Palestine is, is a lot more forefront. And don't get me wrong. Like that absolutely is more important than basketball. And that's, you know, bigger issues in life. But I think people are at the point where it's Kyrie, you're, this is your job. You're getting paid $34 million. Basketball should matter a little bit to you. It should be important in your life. And that's kind of the disconnect. And I can see that part of the argument as to being, you can do both. You can be concerned about the world's issues while also caring about basketball. So it's just that last part of him saying basketball is not that important. It's just, it just makes you feel a little, you know, like, can we, can we just be a little bit excited about, about basketball in, in addition to being proactive in, in getting social justice, you know? No, that's a very valid counter argument. Like, yeah, you know, he is getting paid $34 million to play the game of basketball. So he should, you know, fulfill his media obligations the best way he possibly can, you know? So that is, you know, a counter argument that definitely has some relevance. But, you know, when you look at his performance, you know, putting up 25 plus points per game on 50, 40, 90, saying the right things about his teammates, showing up, you know, performing well um, each and every night, you know, that, um, that gives him a little bit more leeway in terms of uh, using his platform to speak out on other things, you know, aside from basketball. Now, if he was, you know, averaging, let's say somewhere between 10 and 15 points per game on poor shooting splits or whatever, if you just saw that he wasn't invested out there as a basketball player, like all of a sudden, then he deserves a lot more criticism, but he's bringing it out there on the court each and every night and uh, is consistently being a great teammate, you know, on the bench in private and always talking glowing, uh, glowingly about each and every one of the guys from the Landry Shamets, the Bruce Browns and all of that. And even about his former teammates, like I uh, referenced before, you know, him just being somebody that wants the best for everybody and for the teammates that uh, he, um, plays with each and every night and obviously his performance, I think um, kind of allows him a little bit to use his platform for other things instead, because he's still doing his job to like the best of his ability out there. And uh, if he um, wants to use a little bit of time to um, shed light on things that are important to him, he should be allowed to do that. Right. I think that's obviously what makes this all okay. Right. Is Kyrie is just so magnificent and he's, like a otherworldly talent that you put up with it at the end of the day, you deal with it. He's that special. But if this is Landry Shamit or 
Timothy Luau Cabarro or somebody that caliber, he he wouldn't even be in the league. You just wouldn't wouldn't deal with it. You just say, all right, we'll just find somebody else to do this role, and we don't need to to concern ourselves with uh, having to deal with this sort of you know somebody that that isn't always a hundred percent focused on basketball. And so now that it is Kyrie Irving and he, he's that amazing, that changes everything and you deal with it. And that's, that's kind of the only reason why I think Kyrie has been able to kind of say these things and not in organizations like the Nets that are just like, yeah, we can, we don't care. Like we're going to just put up with it because you're just that good. Exactly. And, you know, his presence allowed Kevin Durant and James Harden to join Brooklyn. If it wasn't for Kyrie Irving's love of the Nets as a kid, uh, you know, he wouldn't have ever signed with the Nets. I and mean, they would have never gotten Kevin Durant and James Harden. And when it comes to superstar athletes, he's not the only one that uses his platform for other things that are going on around the world. LeBron James uses his platform for things that he feels that are important to him. Now, he might not say in a media session that, you know, I apologize for not answering your questions in terms of basketball. You might not phrase it and say that basketball... I mean, LeBron has actually said in the past that um, basketball is not the most important thing to him at this current moment. You know, he has said that, and people have criticized him accordingly. But I think there's just... Uh, with Kyrie Irving not being LeBron James, uh, you know, gives people more ammo to throw his way, you know, especially given some of the things he might have said in the past, you know, when you just kind of compile things, um, people are just going to criticize you um, based off of reputation. But even Jared Allen, you know, entering the league, people were concerned that he's not too invested in the game because he had interests outside of the game, uh, like building computers. Jalen Brown has been criticized for having interests outside of the game of basketball, you know, so it's not just Kyrie that has other interests outside of the game of basketball. There are other players that, um, are invested in other things and you know that's okay as long as you when you're out there on the court you bring it a hundred percent and you put up the numbers that you put up you know with 25 plus points per game on 50 40 90 as long as you're doing your job and as long as you're being a good teammate night in and night out you're allowed to speak on issues that you feel are important to you and you're allowed to move the way you want to move you know at the end of the day we're all human beings and we're not always invested in our jobs day in and day out there are other things that um take away our attention and we speak on that accordingly yeah and, and so it's Again, it's that whole balance, right? You can you can do both, and um, it's just that one that just that one last part of Kyrie's comments that says basketball is not that important to me. It's just you should just say like basketball is important, but this is more important. So that's kind of just the one aspect that I think frustrates people from from that standpoint. But um, before we or go ahead, Samir. Yeah, sorry. I just kind of want to add on. I was like, but to be fair, um, you know, he did say that I want to focus on basketball 100% of the time. But, you know, with things that are going on in the world, he just said you just can't do that. So, you know, he's still very much invested in the game of basketball. You know, you see, you know, you don't put up 50, 40, 90 shooting with 25 plus points per game, you know, Um not being invested in the game of basketball. He's focused on his craft. He's focused on what he brings to the table. Um, but, like, you know, he's also, you know, a 
outstanding human being as well. And with that, um, he wants to see change in our world. And, you know, it should be beautiful to see that he's been able to put up these type of performances and entertain people on a nightly basis, but also put his money and his mind on issues he wants to see fixed, you know, um, across the world. It also includes equality for the women's game, for the WNBA. You know, you've seen him promote the game, you know, a lot more than, you know, his other peers do. So um, there is a balance, you know, he's 29 years old, you know, we're not much uh, younger than him, you know, so we can kind of relate and understand that when you're in your twenties, you're still very much figuring yourself out and you're still very much figuring out how to, you know, balance a work life uh, type of uh, lifestyle to, you know, you know, fit things in the way that they're meant to fit in. You know, it, we can all relate to that. And uh, at the end of the day, um, it just comes down to finding that and um, kind of phrasing yourself in a way that is going to avoid criticism since you're, I guess, in the public eye um, pretty much most of the time. Yeah. And I think I've even heard some WNBA players say, um, well, first of all, they're saying about Kobe, he was, he was their biggest ally, but now that, like obviously Kobe isn't around anymore. Uh, Kyrie has kind of now become that guy that's their biggest ally. So that is something that is really should be talked about more because the Liberty, like in New York, they have the most exciting player in the WNBA and she's putting on a show every night. And so it's not just the Nets in Barclays Center that are, are fun to watch. So it's I'm happy to see Kyrie kind of lead that charge of, of supporting women's basketball as well. Absolutely. It's just beautiful to watch. And, you know, and uh, if you look into Kyrie Irving's foundation, you know, it's called CAF. So it's K-A-I-F-F. You know, the foundation is focused on um, fixing water insecurity in our um, society, you know, giving women, you know, particularly women of color, you know, better opportunities to, you know, access clean resources, um, you know, and um, get more, you know, get people in a situation where they can get access to the education that they might not otherwise be so fortunate of receiving due to circumstances that go on, you know, in their personal lives or this country alone. You know, you look into his foundation, you know, is very much, you know, pr about promoting things that are, that are important to him, you know, so um. You know, I, I just recommend that if you have a chance to um, check out his foundation site, you know, it's K-A-I-F-F, -F, you know, just Google it or just Google, you know, Kyrie Irving's foundation, you know, whatever makes it easier for you, you know, just Google it. And you can kind of learn more about what um, causes he's interested in alleviating across society. And, uh, you know, hopefully when you look into that, you can at least understand where he's coming from most of the time and recognize that he's a great human being. But, you know, if you feel so inclined to still dislike him as a person, you have that right too. But, you know, his heart's in the right place and, you know, he's an outstanding human being. Yeah. And, and one thing I did want to talk about before uh, we finish is, so I, it's, it's not really that extensive, but I just want to get your, who you think the next starting five is going to be playoff time because they haven't had the big three really at all this year. They played, I think eight games and now Blake Griffin is here. So this, this group is going to be totally new. What, 
who who do you think is going to be the starting five on game one on Saturday night? And then say come June 18th, say in, in like the conference finals, like do you, do you think it's going to be the same? I'm curious. What, what do you think those two lineups are going to be? Cause I, I know I have a prediction. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, this is kind of tough to predict. Ain't going to lie, but obviously it's going to be the big three, you know, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, you know, that's obvious, but I think Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown are going to be uh, somewhere in that starting five as well, you know, down the stretch, I think, um, Entering the playoffs, I think it's going to be Jeff Green out there with Blake Griffin rounding out that starting five. I think they're going to go with Jeff Green. Um, but if Bruce Brown just continues to um, actually scratch that, I think it's going to be the same. Jeff Green is going to be in the starting five. But if Bruce Brown does prove to be a spark plug off the bench, you know, which he's been proven to be all season long, he's going to be heavily featured as a sixth man and can challenge Jeff Green for a uh, minutes down the stretch in crunch time when the Nets throw their best five starting lineup out there. So I think they'll start with Jeff Green, but as you know, the game flow of, you know, dictates how things are going, they can very well stick Bruce Brown and Jeff Green or Blake Griffin's spot if uh, you know, they need that spark, that guy that's gonna bother opposing players and um force loose balls, deflections and um somebody that can just run out and transition and get you uh, easy layups at the rim, you know? So Bruce Brown will be an X factor no matter how things shake out. So you think Bruce Brown is eventually going to start at some point in the playoffs down the road? Oh, so, or no, you're you're just saying you, you think I just featured and you know, I won't start. I, I I forgot to mention Joe Harris, you know, yeah, I don't know how he slipped my mind. He's going to be starting, you know, yeah. more more than likely. I don't know why yes. I slipped that out. Joe Harris is going to start, but um, I think uh, Jeff Green and Blake Griffin will man the center spot. But Bruce Brown could challenge Joe Harris for minutes too if Joe Harris gets cold. I think I think it's going to be Saturday. If this is assuming Joe Harris is healthy, it'll be Katie, Kyrie, and Harden, obviously, and. And it'll be Blake Griffin and Joe Harris will be the other two starters. I think come June, come the conference finals, they're going to put Bruce Brown in the starting lineup, and Joe Harris is going to come off the bench. I really think I really think that's going to happen at some point during the playoffs. It wouldn't surprise me because Joe Harris can get cold, and Bruce Brown, you know, is more of a known quantity. You know that he can hustle. He'll make the little plays and. You know, you know what you're gonna get out of Joe Harris. I mean, just, sorry, yeah. Brown. Joe just because the scoring, just because the scoring isn't, they don't need like it. They don't need it as much. They're gonna score enough points, so I think they're gonna uh, um, have Brown just defensive purposes and rebounds and things like that as we get later into the playoffs. For sure, for sure. Um, you know, we can uh, very well see a lineup change as. You know, matchups dictate uh, certain things or pace of play dictates certain things. But Drex, you got anything to add before we sign off? Uh, just happy that uh, DeAndre Jordan is not going to get any minutes anymore in the rotation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tend to agree with that, you know. And, it's, um, it's a lock, man. He's not playing at all. I don't think so either. I don't think um, he'll be able to shut down Joel Embiid enough for um, – 
minutes in that series shall they face off but um you know stranger things have happened i don't think he's gonna play he hasn't been playing recently but stranger things have happened you never know but uh you know we want to thank the listeners once again for tuning in into this episode of the scary hours podcast you know we want to thank everyone for following us on twitter and instagram you know um you guys may be following us on social medias, but you can also very much be a part of the show, you know, anytime you want, you know, just hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, you know, and um, feel free to, you know, get your thoughts out there about the Brooklyn Nets or basketball in general. You know, you can find me on Twitter at S underscore Kumar two Drex. I'm at Matthew Drexler three. Absolutely. You know, reach out to any of us or DM the podcast, you know, on Twitter or Instagram, and we'll love to have you on. So just hit us up and, uh, you know, we can't do this without your support. So we just want to thank you once again. Yeah, absolutely. And this, we're excited for, for this series, uh, should be, give us a lot of content. So we'll be talking about it a lot as it unfolds. So be sure to, uh, keep following us on, on social and subscribe on, on Spotify. Cause we'll, we'll be talking about this series a lot more. Absolutely. We look forward to seeing how the series unfolds. We'll give you all the breakdowns, all the predictions and whatever, you know, what we like, what we don't like. But um, hopefully in July, you know, there'll be a parade down Flatbush Avenue where we can all congregate and celebrate, you know, our first championship ever in franchise history. Yes. NBA championship. Yes. 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 (laughs) (laughs) We'll, We'll see you all soon. Thanks for listening.